Now we had heard about it, but we weren't quite clear what was going on. As my family was hanging out in Washington, D.C. a couple summers ago, getting an opportunity to kind of see the museums and all the awesome things, this day had been planned out and we had uh, kind of some opportunities to jump on some buses and do some tours around and see the various sites. And we came finally nearing the end of the day into kind of the inner part of the city near Ford's Theater. Now, grab some dinner, come around the corner, and as we were approaching Ford's Theater, we kind of had to pause and stop, and we weren't sure we wanted to go in because there was this big, long line of a whole bunch of elementary school students, and we're thinking, this is gonna take forever. In the meantime, it had begun to drizzle a little bit, there was some thunder, and suddenly out of nowhere this huge thundering boom hit, and this rain started to pour down in an exceptional amount. We were freaked, we pushed under kind of the awning there, as the people started yelling, get inside, get inside, get inside. We're like, what is going on? They rush all the students, and I'm thinking, this is awesome. We just get to go in, it's gonna be fun. Then rain starts pouring down, it's coming off the front of a bus like a waterfall, and I'm starting to think, this doesn't look normal. They're like, yelling at us, get inside, they pull us in. They can take us down to the basement at Ford's Theater, which is kind of like a little museum. And to be honest, suddenly they're telling us, stay down here until the tornado goes by. The what? Yeah, the tornado. Okay, I'm a Southern California boy. I don't know what a tornado looks like. I don't know what that means, but we were there in the middle of a tornado in front of Ford's Theater. Sometimes you just don't know what's around the corner, literally. And it's kind of one of those interesting things. Storms can be around that corner. All kinds of adventures might be around the corner. But in our life, we know that life is unpredictable. The older you get, the more you see that is true. And here's the thing. Maybe around the corner for you was something difficult. Maybe it was a health situation. Maybe you have found yourself in a financial difficulty. Maybe suddenly you found yourself in some kind of danger threatened by someone or some animal or something. You never know what's around the corner. It could have been love. It could be even some awesome income or something that's come into your, your possession, a new insight. There are lots of things that are around every corner. In this series though, we wanna focus in on, on some specific ones because in this current time period that we live in, What's coming around the corner, to be honest, is so unpredictable, it has a tendency to be scary. It has a tendency to be a little overwhelming. It has a tendency to cause many of us to be on edge. Maybe you've noticed it. But today, we're going to begin to examine what's around every corner as we, uh, as we look at the book of 1 Samuel. If you've got a Bible, grab it, open up to 1 Samuel. We're going to be looking at chapter 21 today. And in this series, we're going to be following David, the king. And he's not the king yet, but he has uh, been anointed as king. And now Saul, the true king of Israel at this time, is looking to kill David. Now, David knew it, but um, Saul's son, Jonathan, who is David's best friend, he was telling him, it's going to be fine. My dad doesn't want to kill you. And the night before the scene we're going to enter into, Jonathan had been sitting at a table with his father. You can see the low-lit room, and he was sitting there stewing. Dad was stewing in the corner, and suddenly he was asking where David was, and Jonathan's making excuses, and Saul gets so angry, he takes his spear and flings it at his son to pin him to the wall. And it's that moment that Jonathan realizes David's right. My dad wants to kill him, and he runs out and forms David, and David has to flee. And so now we pick up a situation. David is running with nothing. He's out there in the middle of nowhere. And what David had now was a problem. See, around David's corner and around every corner is often a need for provision. 
around every corner is a need for provision. It's a need that we find that, hey, I've got to have something. I don't have any money. I don't have any food. I don't have anything. That's David's precarious situation. And we pick up with him here in 1 Samuel chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Let's read this. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the high priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter. And he said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. I don't know about you, but David sounds awfully suspicious at this point, doesn't he? Uh, he, he's very cagey. He's not straightforward. Sure, the king sent him on something. Ahimelech's already nervous, but Ahimelech is, is a priest. He, he kind of leans in. He thinks about it. He looks at it, and, he's, and he turns and says, and the priest answered, David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. Now, this is an interesting text because what's going on here is common bread, normal everyday bread. They didn't have that. They only had holy bread. Now, this is called the bread of the presence. It would have been produced and set on the table in the holy place and was only to be eaten by the priests. It's basically large loaves. You're not flatbreads. These are large loaves. Challah bread is what it's called. And um, yeah, if you've ever had challah bread, it's awesome. At least the modern kind is. And this was the stuff. It was big enough for David to collect and be able to eat. But the problem was only the priests are allowed to eat it. And so he's asking him, you know, have your men and you guys made sure you've kept yourselves, you know, sexually pure, you haven't slept with your wives, that kind of stuff, because that was part of the ritual cleansing in order to be in the tabernacle. Now, this seems strange because in our world, we wouldn't do anything like that. And it seems wrong because Ahimelech's actually going to help him out here. Now watch, he goes on. And David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us always when I go out on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it's an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? And so the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it's taken away. Let's stop here for a minute. See, what Ahimelech does here would have been considered wrong by most Jewish cultic standards. He's not supposed to give the bread to somebody like David. David's not a priest. David doesn't belong in the priesthood. And yet Jesus looks at this situation many years later, standing there commenting on the scenario, and he says, actually, what Ahimelech did was right. What Ahimelech did was he overlooked all the cultic rules, all the ceremonial law, for the sake of the need of another. And this is something then that Jesus is presenting and we see in the text as a call. It's, it's God calling us to provide. It's God calling us to be those who provide for others. You see, we need to be those who can provide, even when it's suspicious. I mean, let's be honest. David was suspicious, and Ahimelech still provided, and Jesus, you know, encourages this. And there are lots of times where people are going to ask you for a need, and you may be suspicious. I mean, I'll be honest, all the time when I see homeless people on the side of the road, I'm suspicious. What do you really want the money for? Now, I don't, I almost sometimes use that as an excuse, and that's, I'm not saying this because it's right. I'm saying it because God's convicting me to, to lean in a little bit more and to ask some questions and to find out what they really need, to really provide for them. We don't always provide just with money. 
whoa, really? Yeah, no, you can provide relationship, you can provide time, you can provide your skills, you can teach somebody something, you can provide knowledge and information, you can simply provide transportation, you can provide all kinds of things that don't necessarily boil down to handing money to someone. In fact, I think sometimes money is the easy way out compared to the kind of provision that some people actually need. And look, in our church right now, there are lots of ways that you can actually help people in need. There's lots of ways that you can provide that doesn't really have to do with the financial side necessarily. For example, we have a group right now called Care Portal. Care Portal offers an opportunity to help out foster families and other families who are on welfare when they're in a desperate need and, and somebody has let us know as a church and we can jump into that. Meal ministries, there are people who are hurting and there are people that are honestly uh, going through some horrible scenarios and what they need is us to show up with a meal and to show up with care. You, know, you have the opportunity of benevolence, which yeah, is financial and you can give to that and we can be able to provide for other people. We have James Project where we can show up and help out a house and you can use your skills you have the prayer ministry, you have Corona Life Services, all of these different ways enable us as a church to provide. But we don't provide, you provide. You have to take it on. You have to say, I'm going to use my skills. I'm going to do something to help out. Because God has called us to provision. And you know what? That provision isn't always convenient. In fact, provision is inconvenient constantly. It is always going to find its way into our lives as an inconvenience. Ahimelech was being inconvenienced. He was giving the only food he had. He didn't have common bread, right? That means people weren't offering up enough grain and enough things so that they had a normal supply of food. Instead, he gave the only food he had, which was the holy bread, which was his, to David. And so Ahimelech does something that's even greater. He gives out of, to somebody's need out of his own lack, which, which is pretty amazing. Now, in Luke, Jesus actually gives us an instruction. He gives us a parable about giving and how we should treat in giving. And it's called the Good Samaritan, right? And in the Good Samaritan, Jesus puts it this way. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, came to this guy who's been beat up and left on the road half dead. Uh, already a rabbi has gone by, thought it was too inconvenient to help, and, and a priest went by, thought it was too inconvenient to help. But this guy actually stops, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. This guy took all this stuff, all this time on his own. He had somewhere he was going. He was journeying somewhere, and he stopped because he had compassion. And this is our thing. We're called to have compassion to care for people. We're called to have compassion when we provide and to give, and that is going to be inconvenient. A friend of mine told me once that as we had an opportunity to provide for one of our, one of our missionaries here at the church, that he was actually um, prompted by God to, to provide a certain amount of money to, towards them. And uh, he didn't have it in his budget. He was like, I'm not quite sure where we're going to get this from. But out of obedience to God, he provided it. And that couple was able to get moving and get going. And, and ultimately, God came and met him there and was able to fill that back in. But he was always happy that he was willing to take the risk, even though it was inconvenient. He wasn't going to be able to have some of the things he wanted to give over to someone else. You see, when we give, it is inconvenient. It's going to come out of somewhere. Maybe it's going to come out of your vacation money. 
Maybe it's gonna come out of your fun money. Maybe it's actually gonna find its way out of um, some, some other like savings account that you're putting away for a rainy day fund or whatever. And, and this opportunity of need is so great, you've gotta provide. And we wanna take a minute and think about, man, we should be willing to do this because often, often it is an inconvenience for us to give. Now, the point here is that we, we, we know it's inconvenient, but uh, we don't want to give in such a way that, um, that honestly we, we make an excuse that it's inconvenient. Look, we're not saying that if you lack, if you're poor, if you're in need, that's not for you to give. It is for those who have what they need to give out of their excess. And you're going, well, I don't have an excess, but you have enough room that you could maybe lower your lifestyle a little bit, say no to a couple of those extracurricular things maybe that you watch on television or get a cheaper gym membership or something like that. You could cut something out and perhaps have some margin to give. It will be inconvenient, but God calls us to be those who provide. Now, the other side of inconvenience in this is that it's also inconvenient to ask for help, isn't it? I know a lot of you who are in need right now aren't willing to ask for that help because in some ways you feel a little less like you, you made it right. You, you feel like, hey, I'm a loser. Uh, you know, if, if I had asked earlier, maybe this would be better. It's so bad now I can't possibly ask anybody. I just want to let you know you need to ask. Yes, it's inconvenient. Yes, it's humbling. I've had to ask for hard things and hard circumstances and it never feels good. But here's the point. If you don't ask now and get the help now, how are you going to be able to help somebody else later? And that's really the case that you want to be able to be helped so you can get on your feet so you can help someone else so they can get on their feet and help someone else. And this is the case. We want to be a provision to others so they can provide to others. And so if you're in need, ask now. You may be coming up on a need. And, and so ask early, ask for some skills, ask for somebody to teach you, humble yourself and allow somebody to give to you, to bless you in that way. Now, there's some more about giving here. There's some more about being a provision. Uh, that we see in 1 Samuel. So we return now, and David is receiving this bread, but then he goes on. Then David said to Ahimelech, then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I've brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And he's saying, like, I don't got anything. And that still looks super suspicious. But the priest, he, he's a good guy. He continues forward, and he actually tells him, Well, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Allah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you'll take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There's none like it. Give it to me. And so David winds up receiving this sword. Now, here's the thing. That sword is a special heirloom of Israel, not just David. It was, a, it was a, a war piece. It was a symbol, and it was expensive. And here's the thing. When we provide for others, it can be expensive. Not just inconvenient, it is expensive. Jesus, when talking about this very Samaritan, he says the next day he took out two denarii. That is two whole full days wages, right? That's working minimum wage. At least let's do that. Minimum wage, you know, two days and he's, he's ready to pour out some money here. In some cases, it was even more. And he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. This is at least a hundred bucks, a couple hundred bucks or so. He is willing to pour out money 
on this stranger. It's already been inconvenienced. He's already willing to allow it to be a bit expensive. And here's the thing. We can set the wrong kind of limits on our life. We can actually say, I, I can't give. It's too expensive. But you know what? If you've met your needs, and I'm not talking about entertainment needs, and I'm not talking about dates, and I'm not talking about these things. I'm talking about your true needs. And you can spare the inconvenience and spend a little bit of that excess on somebody. You will actually provide in a way that's powerful that maybe one day they're able to provide as well. I'm not asking you to give out of your lack. I'm asking you to give out of your muchness, out of your excess. Now, here's an interesting piece. You can prepare for this. You can prepare to give. God is the greatest giver. He lavishly poured out all kinds of things on us. He gave us creation. He gave us life. He gave us food and drink and water and sun and rain. And then he gave us Jesus to bear our sins and eternal life in the resurrection and safety in his kingdom because he is Lord and a future resurrection and heaven and earth and everything that you can imagine. That's expensive. And God pours it out on us. We're to represent him. We're to show him off. And that means we got to pour it out a little bit. And so we should be prepared. There's lots of ways to be prepared. God was prepared to give to us. We need to be prepared to give to others. We can't spend it all on us. And so first and foremost, have a plan. Plan in your tithe that goes to help other people. Plan in your, your giving above and beyond that. One of the things my wife and I have done, and we haven't always done it perfectly, is one day we were reading through the Old Testament scriptures and we came across the concept of leaving the edges of your field um, unharvested for the poor. And we thought, we just need to intentionally put an edge, just an edge on our finances. And it's not a lot. I think it's like $100 or something like that. And we just kind of, or, or $50 something. We, we just kind of set it aside. And we put it aside on purpose to say, if somebody who is in need shows up, we're just going to give them that. It's not ours. It's for the poor. It's for the need of others. That's a way of planning. Maybe another way to plan is that you, you do. You lower your lifestyle. You consider, you know what? Maybe I should sell my house. Maybe I should get a lower payment. Not so I can have more stuff, but so I can give more. So that the excess that's above, that I can, maybe I can cut some things out so I have an excess to give to another person. This is this kind of simplistic living that so many Christians have been called to so that we can be extravagant givers and provide for those who really are in need. Maybe it's even the idea that uh, you learn how to control your own money. Uh, so many of us don't control our own money, and so somebody else does, or it controls us. And so maybe you need to jump into FPU just to get some ideas on how to learn how to manage your money. And we provide FPU here. It's an awesome opportunity. Consider checking into that. But again, when we provide, God's called us to be those who provide. And it's going to be inconvenient. And it's going to be expensive. And so David sees this. He's received provision. And so he's leaving. He's got food. He's got a sword. He's ready to go. But here's the problem. He's going to go around another corner. Let's take a look where he heads off as he uh, runs in to a new hurdle and another thing. First Samuel 21, now starting in verse 10. It says, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another in his dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And so what we have here real quick is this, is this sudden stupidity by David. Let's be honest. What is David thinking? You kill Goliath? 
you'd kill Philistines like crazy, and you go, I'm freaked out. You know what? I'm going to go to the Philistines. I, I have no idea what he's thinking. He, he's a good symbol for us to realize when you're under stress, don't make decisions. Don't make big decisions. You know, let other people help you make those big decisions. Uh, maybe the sword of Goliath inspired him and he ran off. I, he, this is ridiculous. David puts himself in some serious, serious danger. But he has an attempted solution. And he goes into this mode. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. This is so funny. Here he is. And he's just like, I killed my 10,000. I did 10,000. You know, he's just playing it up. He's trying to be insane. He's trying to be crazy. And so then Akish said to his servants, behold, you see, the man, is, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? And then I love this next line. He says, do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And so David has gone from being in a dangerous situation to being so annoying and so frustrating. This guy's like, who I, I normally have madmen around me, right? No, I think he was insulting his group of, of counselors around him going like, yeah, I got enough madmen here. Get this guy out of here, right? But David is saved out of this. But I don't think David was saved out of this because of his, you know, his wit. And hey, I'll just pretend to be crazy and, and that'll make him not kill me. It just makes him an easier target. You know, David put himself in a dangerous situation. And what he reveals is that around every corner can be the, is another form of need, can be the need for protection. That there is a sense that our world is a dangerous world. You live in America, and it is fairly safe, but there are dangers around every corner. There are dangers in your health. There are dangers to your finances. There are dangers to your life. There are dangers. Every time you get in a car, every time you go out on a walk, there are dangers. Do not forget that. This is a broken, fallen world. I think we're seeing that more now. I think it shocked us that there was a danger around the corner. And this danger is here. For David. And as we look at this danger and we figure out, man, there, there are these situations that, that we have this need, either spiritually speaking or physically speaking or financially speaking, man, we need some help. Well, where did they, we need that crazy like David? No, no, no. That's not the application. The application comes in a psalm that David wrote, Psalm 34. You can go back and read the whole psalm, but I'm going to lift a couple of the verses out. He wrote this when he was being crazy in Gath. And this is what he wrote. This poor man cried, speaking of himself, and Yahweh the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of Yahweh encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. What he is saying is this, God heard my prayers. God saved me. God delivered me. Those of us who are willing to fear him, those of us who walk and follow Jesus, those of us who are in his kingdom, those of us who are associated with the true king of Israel, Jesus, God encamps around us. God likes to protect us. God likes to be a protection on our behalf. God has probably protected you more times than you could probably imagine.
You don't know the dangers he's kept you from. You don't know the dangers that he hasn't put into your life. And sometimes there are some of you, you can say, man, I was in a dangerous situation. Maybe you were overseas in war. Maybe you were on a mission trip. Maybe you're in some situation God got you through. I knew one of our teams that had gone to Myanmar were there to smuggle Bibles and they got stopped and were about to be investigated as they were coming through customs. If they had been caught with those Bibles, they would have been arrested and thrown into jail. And they were praying like crazy. And for some reason, God granted these men not to see the bags, just pass them through, though they unzipped everything else. And they made it into the country with the Bibles. When we're with God, we're on his journey. He indeed protects us. But I get it. There's an objection. What about the times he hasn't? You've not seen my life. I've gone through so much suffering. He didn't protect me from my abusive husband. He didn't protect me from that health situation. He didn't protect me from you name it from COVID or whatever. He didn't protect my mom. He didn't Look, a couple of quick things here. When we think about the idea that God loves to protect his children, he loves to protect us, is don't forget that David, while protected in this scenario and didn't die, isn't free from his sufferings. He's going to fall right into another set of sufferings and another set of sufferings and another set of sufferings. But God did protect him. God saved him out and provided that protection in that scenario but not from all of them. He has a plan for David. He's going to shape David. And here's the problem. We as Americans, we as um, Westerners who've grown up in a middle-class world or grown up in a world where we get pretty much what we want when we want it, we have a hard time when any kind of suffering comes our way. And we think, God didn't protect me, yet you're alive. The protection is for life. And guess what? One day, indeed, and I hate saying this, and it feels callous, so please forgive me for a second, but think about it for a minute. You are going to die. You're going to. We all are. But God has a time for your death. He, if you're alive, he's not done with you. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for you, and he's protecting you through it. Now, if you're in an abusive situation where you have a spouse, get out. Get help. Get safe. Get away. Get to somebody because God will provide protection another way. As you're seeking it, he should provide it through other people around you, too. Not going to magically just stop it. He's going to say, come here, find help, find healing, get away, get safe. See, and this is what happens. Sometimes our protection doesn't show up because we don't step up for each other. See, God has called us to be a protection. We can be a protection for other people. As David was protected by the Lord, suddenly he finds himself now a protection for others. In fact, we pick it up here in verse 5. He is now, in a, in a different location, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. They were in danger. Saul was now attacking them. They go to David for protection. They go to safety. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and became, he became commander over them. In fact, it goes on. He says that um, his family was with, were with them, about 400 men now there. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, you know, take my father and my mother, stay with you. Because he had family in Moab and he had connections with Moab. And he says, till I know what God will do for me. And he left them and with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Look, the point here is that David has become a very protection. He's been, become a protection. Now, 
It goes on, the prophet of Gad said to David, don't remain in the stronghold, depart, go into the land of Judah. So David departed and, and went into the forest of Erath, and over and over, and everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was um, with him and all this stuff, they stuck around with him. Now, here's the point. That, that God is providing protection for David. David becomes a protection for others. And this means that we have a grand opportunity to protect one another. We have an opportunity to be a provision of protection. That may mean that you need to use your strength and to gather around and pull somebody in your home and keep them out of danger. That may mean you need to rise up and stop a, an evil from happening that's around you. Those are options. There's also the option of praying for the sake of safety, spiritually speaking. Probably some of our most dangerous situations, we need to be praying for the protection spiritually of one another as well as the church. And what that means is that we need to be on our knees every single day praying that God would, keep, would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, right? That we should be a people who are praying the armor of God on each other so we're protected against the schemes and the fiery darts of the enemy that come at us. We need to be ready to see the defense of one another spiritually stepping in and teaching something that is true and pointing out false doctrine. We need to be able to step up and encourage one another. We need to love one another and challenge one another. This is this kind of protection that you and I need to have. Now, I don't want you to underestimate the power of meeting needs and the power of protecting one another. Yeah, it feels like, ah, oh, it's just another sermon about giving to people and giving to stuff and helping people out. But I want you to remember and look again at this verse. It says that around everyone who was in the distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to David and he became the commander over them all. This is actually a picture, my friends, of the church. Stop and think about who surrounds Jesus and who becomes the people Jesus tells us to invite. But the poor and those on the streets and those around us, they're the ones invited into the kingdom of heaven. It's not those who have, but it's the poor in spirit. It's not those who have tons and are able to lean on their money. It's those who are in need. And maybe we're missing something. If we stop and don't realize God wants to flood the church with those who are in need, that God wants to flood the church with those who are in spiritual need, physical need, financial need, because he wants us to meet them where they're at. He wants us to be a provision. He wants us to be a protection so that they can become the church. Guys, the beauty of the church, the beauty of what we have is that Jesus is the one we rally around. Jesus is the one who gives ultimate protection. Jesus is the one who's provided for us in our spiritual poverty. Jesus is the one who's, who's defended us against the spiritual darkness and given us safety. Jesus is the one who took this poor, broken sinner and has brought him to be a saint. And you too. And so maybe one of the most powerful ways we can provide and protect is to actually give the gospel to people as well. To provide for them what they need to hear. And today, maybe that's what you need. See, Jesus Christ is not just a great teacher. He's not just a prophet. God himself came to earth as Jesus because he was the only one who could defeat sin and the spiritual darkness and the mess of this world. So I'm not a sinner. Trust me, do you sense the brokenness of your soul? Do you know and see the lies that you commit, the lust that's in your heart, the anger that spews out, the coveting, you can't get enough of it. Maybe it's just the constant dishonoring of, of, of authorities and people around you. Maybe you just hate God in general. Guys, that's sin. It is the F you to God. It is the I hate you God that comes out of us. And God knows if we keep that up, we will be damned to hell. 
And he does not want us to go there. He wants to save us. I don't want you to go there. We don't want you to go there. The church wants you to see your spiritual poverty and not come to me, but go to Jesus who is willing to give you all that you need to free you from the bonds of sin, to free you from the bonds of lies and let you go. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ bore our sins. He paid for the punishment of hell there on the cross. And then he rose from the dead, defeating the spiritual powers of this world, proving that he has eternal life to give it to you and to give it to me. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. He is king and judge. And now he is the one who calls us right before him because of his work. It's a gift. You can receive that today. The spiritual poverty can be gone. All the issues and all these sins and struggles can be dealt with. And you can have a relationship with God who will then enter your life and begin to lead you from there, protecting you spiritually, providing for you. And yes, bring you into the church where we can be a provision and a protection. And God willing, aid you as you begin a journey into knowing him deeper and deeper all the way into heaven. If you'd like to receive that, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Right where you're at, just bow your head with me. What you're saying to God is you say, God in heaven, I need that provision. I need you, Jesus. I need you to pay for my sins. I trust that you did on the cross. I need you to change me and give me life. And I trust you did when you rose from the dead. I ask that you'd free me from the spiritual darkness in my soul because you've overcome these evil forces. And I want to follow you as my king, my leader, and my Lord. Lead me and help me in the name of Jesus to do so all the way home to heaven. Amen. If you did make that commitment of faith, let us know right now by simply uh, giving us that knowledge right there in the chat box. You can tell somebody that you received that with a hand raised, or you can let us know. You can simply text us at the church to, um, to at that number at the bottom there and the information at the bottom there and just let us know that you've made that decision. We're just glad that you're with us. But finally, if you are someone in the church and you want to help and you can help somebody or you need help, there's two things you can do. At this number, 951-382-5111. If you need help, text the word NEED to that. Let us know. And I know that's hard, but let us know. We want to meet you in your need. If you're able to provide for someone, text the word PROVIDE to that number. And there's a little chart, and you can tell us how you can help provide. And we want to be able to connect people together and meet needs. Because that's what God did for us. He met our needs. So let's go meet others. God bless you guys this week. And I pray that he would use you as a great provision and protection.